Welcome to Grace in 30, a show about individuals and organizations living by grace, and a call to action to you, our listeners, to join in, make our families, communities, businesses, and world a better place. You're joining us on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm your host tonight, Sal Dietry. Ed Mellick is away on some much-deserved vacation. Uh, tonight, I'm joined by the co-founders of 72 Africa, Tim Sample and the Reverend Dr. Clement Apangwa, our good friend Dr. Clem in town from Ghana is joining us. 72 Africa is a nonprofit building sustainable peace in Africa through three unique key pillars. They're dealing with conflict resolution, they're educating the population, and they're doing economic development out in rural areas. We're going to hear all about that uh, tonight. You can visit their website at 72africa.org to learn more and support their efforts. Tim, Father Clem, welcome to Grace in 30. Thank you. Thanks, Sal. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you back. Uh, you know, Father Clem, Ghana has just undergone a major political change uh, after the elections. Um, I know there has been a concern there over the past 18 months about election-related violence. Things seem to have gone fairly peaceful there. Um, you know, give us a one-minute overview of what's happened in Ghana, because we've had quite an election here in the United States. Yes, thank you. We in Ghana, we're very lucky to have a very peaceful election, a peaceful transition from opposition party uh, into, into government. Ghana has had two major political parties, the National Democratic Congress, known as NDC, and the New Patriotic Party, known as the MPP. You know, there are several minor parties, but these have not had any significant impact on the, on the elections uh, since 1992. So since 1992, the NDC has been in government. It was in government for eight years, and then the NPP took over, and uh, also for, two, for eight years. So in 2008 was a very crucial moment um, when the, uh, the NDC took over the reins of government from the NPP. Now, four years later, we had another election and where it was held, the results were seriously contested. So the 2016 elections was uh, within the, with the background of these heavily contested elections and the stakes were very high. And, and so it was very, very interesting for us to work because the challenges were very high and the elections went smoothly and the NPP came to power. Describe your efforts, you know, and Tim, jump in, but describe your efforts to ensure a violent free election because you all have been uh, conducting these grassroots efforts in peace centers, in the economic development, sort of laying the groundwork, if you will, uh, for a peaceful election. And a, a lot of times people don't see that. It's like building a house, you know. There's a lot of work going on. The basement's being built. You don't see it, and all of a sudden the house sort of pops up, and there it is. Tell us a bit about uh, your efforts there in to ensure nonviolent elections. Well, it's good to have an organization like 72 Africa on the ground. Usually when there is an election, people come in the last minute. They throw a lot of money at you. As I speak now, most of the organizations have gone away, but 72 is on the ground. So what exactly did we do? We looked, we narrowed ourselves to two key areas, religious leaders and the youth. Religious leaders have been very much involved in the socio-economic development of Ghana. You know, 62% of the health and education is managed by religion, uh, religious uh, faith-based organizations. Now, we had a situation where 
getting towards the elections, there was these politicians were trying to use religious differences. The whole issue of wearing of hijab, the relationship between Christians and Muslims. And so we thought we need to bring these religious leaders together so that religion does not become an occasion for violence. So we organized a peace summit where we brought about 35 to 40 religious leaders together in one room. And the idea was the three religions from the Abrahamic faith have a lot in common. How do we pull that together and let it not be a source of division? So we, we did this very peaceful, uh, we did this peace summit, which was very interesting. And we had then follow-up activities going to the various regions and then meeting the groups and getting them to commit to meeting the politicians and challenging them to build peace. Yeah, Sal, I think, I think uh, a big part of that is that there's a growing realization now that that you know with any government with any organization there's a lot of you know what in Washington we would call stovepiping and so you think about things like conflict resolution and you always kind of think oh well it's those guys over there doing peace building or they're linked with academia or whatever and then the guys that are building democracy are over here in this stovepipe and they're doing their thing what is what happened, what we were able to do, is bring all that together, thanks to uh, the National Endowment on Democracy and, and the International Republican Institute. We were able to, to bring all that together so that we could show them that the types of things that we can do to get people engaged and involved in their own future was a bedrock to ensuring um, violence-free elections, regardless of the structure. And the structure is important. But, but we were able to, to say, you know, the active engagement at the local grassroots level is really what ensures a, a bright and peaceful future. Yeah, and I think people in, you know, in this country right now are going through some of these same struggles, which is, uh, you know, you talked about the Abrahamic uh, religions, but how do we start getting human beings together to start realizing that we're all, we're all human beings and start settling some of this uh, that's being sort of fought in Twitter and Facebook you know, like never before, right? So, yeah. Well, it's important to be able to get people together to talk. When people come together, they actually talk to each other as human beings. They suddenly discover what they have in common. So a key thing is how do you get people into the room to be able to discuss the issues that affect them rather than using social media, you know, to, to send out these messages there and there. And the one other thing I think is that I find interesting in this is that, you know, there's an old famous saying, all politics is local. That's right, Tip O'Neill. And, and, and actually it was somebody before Tip O'Neill, but, but he was the one that, that became famous for that. And um, even in, in a place like Ghana, and, and we can reflect on the U.S. elections, but a place like Ghana where I watched a lot of um, both angst and a lot of feelings getting generated at the national level by the national parties, and then you'd go into a place like Damango or in Wa or other or Yendi, and and it would re be reflected there almost as a given. But once you got people into a room in a local community then all of a sudden it was local people facing local people talking out their local differences and suddenly the big national differences didn't seem quite as challenging um, as maybe they did before we engaged with them. Well, I want to ask you about something specific with, with the Ghana election and then I want to get back to this uh, challenges here in the U.S. And, and Father Clem, I had read an article 
uh, dated January 29th, where a prominent member of the NDC, uh, Samed uh, Akilu, uh, spoke out against those who were trying to say that the elections had been rigged. And he actually uh, said, you know, people need to give uh, Mr. Akufuadu a chance. Is that a major concession in Ghana for someone from another party to speak out like that? I think the evidence was very clear. This was the first time the elections were so well organized that all of us were taken by surprise. There was so much hype towards the election and everybody was expecting violence. Then all of a sudden it was so flawless, you know. So for anybody to come up and say, oh, the elections were rigged, well, I would look at it as a way of dealing with grief and with loss. But it was very clear that the elections were so well done. And, and I, his, his coming up, there, were, there was a lot of pressure from the opposition to, to, to contest the elections. Yeah. And so it was very good that he came up and made this pronouncement. And even the president himself made those pronouncements. Yeah, and Tim, maybe this is one for you, and, and this is a <laughs> tough one. Uh, you know, what do you think, because you, you men are in the business of conflict resolution, and that, that starts at very basic levels between people. What do you think it would take to see some movement like that between our new Congress and President Trump? <laughs> where, where we are today, which is, uh, I think, a place we've never been uh, in, in the uh, 40-some years I've been, I've been alive. Well, you know, Sal, I think, I think a big step right away is to, to take a deep breath, take a step back, and, and figure out what the ultimate goals are. Because what I've found and I spent nine years on Capitol Hill, and what I found was that, um, you know, when you when you tear away all the rhetoric and everything else, the basic goals are, are pretty much the same on both sides. It's how you go about them and how you get there that usually is where the difference is. And, and um, you know, in this case, uh, we got to get away from the hype. Uh, we've got to get it. We've got to get down to the major issues and have conversations. And and it is. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of concern uh, and, and understandable and, and valid concern about what's going on. But but I think it starts with really doing your own research to find out what the truth is, um, understanding what your opinions are and why you have those opinions. Right. And then and then and then moving forward with with what you're ultimately trying to do. I mean, I I was there in 1995 when the Republicans took control of the, of the House of Representatives, and the thing that disturbed me most uh, in hindsight was that I watched both political parties move away from governance and make the priority who's in control, right? So the Democrats just lost the House, and their big thing uh, was, all right. Our, our number one priority is regaining control of the House. Right. Right? And then the Republicans will go, well, okay, our number one priority is maintaining the, the control of the House. And, and somewhere in that process, um, we, we make those the priorities rather than the governance factor, which is the entire reason for having a Congress and, and, and a federal government in the begin, to begin with. I, I agree. We need to get back to specifics and have start having basic, specific discussions in this country. And boy, we've we've lost that I think in the last decade, and and that's really manifested itself today. Uh, I want to um, inject here, give you guys a second, but remind listeners that uh, we're joined tonight by the co-founders of Seventy Two Africa, Tim Sample and the Reverend Doctor Clement Apagwa, a nonprofit building a sustainable peace in Africa. You can visit and learn more about their mission at Seventy Two Africa 
dot org. Um, Tim, I, w- I want to ask you real quick. You you know get back to sort of your mission. Um, you know, you hosted a roundtable at George Mason. Uh, they have the Center for Conflict Resolution, for those who don't know, and and really talked about key factors that fuel you know violence and instability. Um, you know, I think some of the things reading reading the scripts, you know, the lack of government attention to conditions, these, this growth in youth populations that, that probably many of our guests don't realize the growth boom in Africa and the economic challenges there, uh, and then the growing uh, influence of outside forces. Of course, we think of, of ISIS being number one, but also there's a lot of countries that are investing in Africa and sort of buying it up. Uh, you know, what are you doing to address these areas? Each one of these areas is a huge challenge in and of itself. What are you folks doing to address that? And Tim, and then uh, Father Clem, if you want to chime in there. Well, let me, uh, Sal, you mentioned the demographics, so let me give you a couple data points very, very quickly. Uh, one is that at least the ha- at least half of the population of sub-Saharan Africa is under the age of 25 years old today. Uh, the second thing is that, that um, each year in the next 20 years, there will be about a half a million more 15-year-olds than in the previous year. And at least 20% of African youth are unemployed. And what we see, and when Father Clem and I have gone around, and and you see individuals, even individuals who have gone past high school and have gotten a college education, who are in their communities and there's no prospect and there's no, uh, no hope, they lose hope. And once you lose hope, then you will turn to just about any cause if you feel like you're you're contributing. And the 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 one data point to to kind of back that up is that um, for every percentage point increase in youth population relative to adult population, the risk of conflict increases by more than four percent. And so. You take that, and and so the the bottom line is you can't ignore those demographics. On an economic side, that's also you, you look at at potential market space, and so we believe that that the to address some of these issues, the real key uh, are youth, um, uh, especially quite frankly, uh, uh, females, women, um, right. be, because they they are very uh, uh, industrious. And, and ready to go. Some of the, some of the best entrepreneurs that we've met uh, in Africa are female. And if you give them the opportunity and give them the chance, then they can grow business at a local level. And once that happens, they get invested in that peaceful uh, product um, of a community. And once the community comes together and starts to grow in that way, then they automatically become resistant to that conflict entrepreneur that walks in and says, look, I, I know you're struggling. I'll give you $10 a month. Here's an AK-47. Go out into this field. And so we are able, we have been able to start, um, Father Clem has been very active recently in working with a young man that we trained as one of our youth peace ambassadors. Um, his name is Bonso. And, and he is now heading up uh, the beginnings of an organization uh, that, that, that currently is being called 72 Africa Youth Entrepreneurship. And, and he, um, he is a, a printer by trade, an artist. And so he is, um, uh, he's teaching uh, his colleagues how to do printing. Uh, he has groups together who are doing um, 
a variety of things, uh, crafts, uh, things like that. And, and it's not just to get people off the street, it's actually to start giving them a hand in creating business so that they have a future that they can, that they can plan on and rely on. Yeah, you, you kind of answered a question I had, but in Father Clem, you can jump in, but what would you say are your, your one or two biggest successes or areas where you've made su- substantial progress in, in the past 18 months in, in the effort of building peace initiatives leading up to elections? I mean, obviously the elections were peaceful, so some people could give you all the credit, right? Big success, but what, what would you say are the one or two things that you're most proud of in the past 18 months at 72 Africa's efforts in Ghana? Uh, one of the things that uh, for me we are very proud of is to see religious leaders who after the peace summit want to actually work for peace and they go out of their comfort zone and actually speak about peace. And community members have come back to say, what happened to this guy after your training? He seemed to be a completely different person. The second area of success is the youth are usually the ones involved in violence whenever there is violence. You see them, they are the ones on the streets. But nobody has thought of mobilizing this energy and resource for peace. And we have seen a number of young people turn around and challenge their own colleagues to work for peace. And some have had, and their parents, you know, and they've had very tremendous uh, success, you know. Banso is one of them, but you have also some of the young people who were like, after the, the, the experience with us, were like, oh, we didn't realize that we could do this. And they went on to, to, to have a great impact on their own uh, colleagues. I think, it's, uh, and I think for me, going along with that, is we introduced a concept when we were there with these religious leaders um, that we called wage peace. And the point was that, you know, everybody knows how to wage war. Uh, I can get a pretty good definition if I walk somebody up on the street and say, hey, how do you wage war? And I, I pretty much know what that answer is going to be. Yep. But, if I, but if I say, how do you wage peace, people kind of stop and they think about that for a second. What are you talking about? But the point is, and where these religious leaders really took hold of this concept was that you have to work every single day as hard on waging peace as you do on waging war if you're at war. You have to go, it's not something that just happens, it's not something that's static. It takes work and it takes engagement and involvement. And these religious leaders who often will wait to be asked to engage suddenly transformed and they became engaged and, and engaged in ways that we never expected. And I think that was phenomenal. One of the things that, that um, I started laughing when you asked that question, because Father Clem and I were just laughing. We just got – this young man, Bonzo, just posted something on Facebook that I just put on my timeline. I'll put it on the 72 Africa timeline later. Uh, but he was on a radio show in Ghana, and a caller called in, and it was a mother. And, and paraphrasing all of it, she basically said, look, I don't know who this Tim Sample is, but, you know, I, I'd like to meet him and, and kind of hope that he goes away because my daughter has been talking about waging peace for months now. And even if I say some little offhand comment about somebody, she looks at me and says, wage peace, Mom. <laughs> That's <And> great. So <laughs> we should all keep that in our back pocket, especially in these times. I, I want to ask you, you know, Father Clement, you talked about how faith leaders came together and uh, it strikes me because we have a lot of nonprofits on here that are small, 
And often they will go to places like Haiti, like our guest last week, and he'll say the Catholics help the Catholics, the Methodists help the Methodists, and they don't really work together. And, and, and even in this country, let's face it, I mean, the, you know, the body of Christ is divided, right? We've got a lot of denominations here. We have our Muslim brothers here in Falls Church that we had on t- uh, two weeks ago. H- how do we uh, break down some of those barriers? Is it through sort of joint social action? There's a group here in Northern Virginia called Voice mm. um, that your good friend, Father Jerry Creedon, has is, is been deeply involved in. And when you look at their website, they don't talk a lot about scripture, but they talk about about justice, social justice, the things that they are doing with their hands to enable that. Is that really the key here is to get people doing things together uh, among all these different uh, denominations that exist in Ghana? Yeah, when I was here, I was a bit involved with voice, and I was very, I was very impressed with the way they were working together. In Ghana, we've been very lucky that for a very long time, we had a very good collaboration among the religions. If you go to a Catholic school in some areas, 60 to 70% of the children are Muslim. Mm. You can find a family where the father is Muslim, the mother is Catholic, and the three children belong to three different religions, you know, and, and, and they live in peace. But it's, it's because very early we had the Interfaith Dialogue Commission as part of the church program that tried to bring the religions together to dialogue and to, to understand each other's faith, faiths. One of the things we realize is that when you start talking doctrine, then you begin to divide people. Exactly, yep. But when you talk on social issues, on issues of justice, on working together, we have a lot in common. And when you look at the social prophets, you know, I mean, they, they, they preach social justice. Right. That deals with, with, with the human needs. And so that is what unites us. You're, you're making me laugh because Ed and I have had uh, several people write to us and, and uh, want to argue our definition of grace. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, Sal, Sal, by the way, uh, kind of along those lines, I'd, I'd encourage your listeners. Um, a while ago, you had our good friend Joe Montville on. Yes. And um, for anybody who's interested in some of the things we were just talking about, about the similarities in religions and what the prophets have said, on the 72 Africa website, um, there is uh, a link on the home page uh, for Joe's article uh, that people can download and take a look at, and it, and it really is a, a tremendous um, summary of the similarities and 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 what has been said and why between the three religions. Yeah, that's uh, that is a great read, uh, Tim. Father Clem, where do you go from here after a peaceful election? What what are your plans for? For the future in Ghana, in, in neighboring countries, Chad and other places, what are your biggest challenges to, to expanding and, and where can we help? Where can your, our listeners help? To begin with, there's a lot of work left in Ghana. Um, our third pillar, which is the local economic development portion, is now, uh, now that we've started laying that groundwork on conflict resolution, uh, that is going very well. Father Clement and uh, has a you know our staff in Ghana is working even now doing workshops and roundtables and, and all that is going swimmingly well. Now we need to bring in that local economic uh, development part even more and expand upon that. And we're working we're we're talking to some partners now to do that to get some USAID funding that type of thing. But also this experience in in Ghana with the elections has made some people realize that we have a role to play. And so there are three countries coming up uh, that we will be looking at who are having national elections uh, in the future. The first one is Kenya, um, who has their election in August. The next one is Liberia. They have their election in October. 
and then the third is the the DRC, the Democrat, Democratic Republic of Congo, and they have their elections in uh, April, I believe, of 2018. So we'll be looking at how we can take the, the model that we used in Ghana and putting it um, with help uh, from, from partners and, and with uh, uh, some uh, funding uh, to go in and, and help ensure peaceful uh, elections in those countries as well by doing things like training youth uh, to be peace ambassadors and getting them engaged in their communities by holding these interreligious uh, summits, um, by getting youth involved in entrepreneurship so that they have uh, something, they have options and they have hope. Most of the organizations that descended on Ghana during the, the uh, uh, time to the elections, most of them have left. But we continue to do right. what we have been doing. We are still having meetings with the religious leaders. We are still working with the youth, as Tim has explained. And uh, the challenge for us is how to be strategic in our approach towards peace. At the moment, he mentioned Kenya. The other day, I just read that there was a fistfight in the Kenyan parliament when they were discussing the new election laws. At the moment, nobody's talking about that. But three months, two months to the election, everybody's going to descend on Kenya. So the challenge is how do we have the resources to continue to do what we are doing in a sustainable manner so that when it comes to elections, we do not have to now rush. So, so how does that work, uh, Tim? Is this, is this uh, corporate sponsorship? Is it, is it state sponsorship? You mentioned USAID. Is, is it kickstart type stuff, sort of fund this specific project in Ghana? Because I could see that working, right, with some deliverables and a specific thing that says, you know, this is going to occur for the next 18 months. You get on board, we'll give you, you know, weekly updates for all the engineers that live around. We'll uh, give you a project plan, a timetable, a spend rate, all that fun stuff. How does that, what are you guys looking for in that area? It really is going to be a a multi-pronged approach. Um, Some of it will be going after government funding. Um, the nice part about what happened in, in Ghana and with the National Endowment of Democracy and others is it, it, it as I said, it, it awake, awoken them to the fact that we have a role and that that role needs to start earlier than what they normally do. So we're going to be working with them uh, to see if we can get some, some government funding. We always look for private funding and donations. Um, and, and then, you know, there are some small projects where local people, uh, you know, individuals as well as churches can get involved. One of the things we're doing is, and we've talked about it on the show, we have a beekeeping project uh, in Damongo, and that so far has been funded uh, in large part by Holy Family down in Dale City who made 72 Africa a Lenten appeal. And so when we came in, um, they gave us two years in a row uh, an amount of money that we have been able to go over and revive hives. And, and now the exciting news is we found – we had meetings, and now we found a young man who is absolutely passionate about marketing and distributing honey. That's great. So, so now we have individuals who are ready to have hives and, and, and produce the honey. We have somebody who's ready to take that and do something with it. He's already made some inroads. So now we're – in fact, this next week we'll be laying out the business plan uh, to find out how much more investment we need and everything else to get these people underway. And, and this is a good news story for many reasons. Now, the, 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 you know, there's always some bumps in the road. When, when I was there last time, uh, I talked to the, the, the wonderful gentleman, um, Philemon, who, who uh, 
has these hives, and we, we've been helping his co-op. And I mentioned to him that you, obviously one of our priorities was getting youth involved. And he said, and he, he pleaded with me and said, "Yes, I'm trying. I'm trying. The problem is most of the youth are too afraid of the bees. <laughs> so, so you know, you have to you, you have to uh, take allowances for some things. But but that alone was a good start to a project for not a lot of money. Yeah. Quick thoughts here. Thirty seconds each. We've got about a minute left. Uh, a call to action for our listeners. A general thing for people sitting on the couch." To get involved because you guys started this from from prayer and and from nothing just real quick some thoughts for people who have ideas in their heads father clem tim just 15 seconds of, of interest there we keep handing off to each other um i think a lot of what we find is again everything starts at home everything starts locally and whether it's getting together to help somebody out or or um donating to a cause um, look around. Look around at individuals. Look at your neighbors. Look at others. Talk to them. Engage. And Father Clem, anything just in 10 seconds? Yes, I would say engage. Engage and talk to one another. And if you can support in any way, that would be great. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Tim and, and Father Clem. And for listeners who want to find out more about 72 Africa and help their mission, visit them at 72 Africa. You've been listening to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great day and be sure to tune in to Grace.